Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. This is part two in a two-episode series exploring the life of Sultan Al-Kam Sardar Jassa Singh Alawalia. I actually want to pause and have a look at that title. Jassa Singh Alawalia was given the name Sultan Al-Kam, and what it means is King of the Nation. I don't know many people who can claim that title, but the distinction I want to make is that this wasn't a title that he inherited by being born into a noble family, and it wasn't necessarily one that he declared for himself. We began part one of this series asking a question, what can one individual achieve? And Jassa Singh is a prime case study in the guiding principles of his age that would lead him to prominence. If you haven't heard part one, I encourage you to go back and have a listen. But if you prefer to jump into the middle of the action, then here's a quick primer on his early years. If you already checked out episode one, then you can skip ahead just by a couple minutes. Jassa Singh Alavaria was born in a dangerous time to be a Sikh. The reigning Mughal rulers had their minds set on exterminating them. It's the 18th century, they have a couple reasons as to why they wanted to do that, but one of the primary ones was that Sikhs were seen as a threat to their rule, a separate power structure from their own. The result was a long campaign of hunting down Sikhs, even offering bounties to individuals that would seek them out and bring them back dead. Jassa Singh, as a boy, grew up spending time between camps of Sikhs seeking refuge, as well as the fighters that resisted the Mughal rulers. As he grew up, he learned how to read and write, speak both Persian and Punjabi, and steeped himself in Kirtan. Eventually, he came under the mentorship of another prominent Sikh figure, Kapoor Singh, who would later become Nawab Kapoor Singh, the sovereign of the Sikhs. If the Mughal Empire didn't feel threatened already, the Sikhs coming together to form their own confederacy made up of a number of missiles or regions cemented that belief. Where we left off in part one was in 1746, following the Chota Garugara, or Small Massacre. It was led by the revenue minister of Lahore, Lakhpat Rai, of the Mughal Empire. Now, despite the name of Small Massacre, the reality was quite grim. A large concentration of Sikhs were located in the northern Punjab and attacked. Many fled into the mountains of Jammu and Kashmir, but thousands were captured, taken back to Lahore, publicly humiliated, and beheaded. It marked a significant moment for the Sikhs. A large proportion of their population was killed. And two years later, another character creeps into the scene. Ahmed Shah Durrani, a relatively new but ambitious leader from Afghanistan, began invading the Mughal Empire territory and effectively the same regions the Sikhs lived and occupied. So that is the stage we've set. But there's one principle I want to highlight Jassa Singh Alavaria, a leader or baron of one of the missiles, he had seen the massacre and the early invasions of Ahmed Shah Durrani. To be a leader during as tense of a period as this would be incredibly difficult. Yet the guiding principle I want to look at here is resilience. And not just of Jassa Singh Alavaria, but of the many Sikhs and characters that were having to endure this time. I won't be doing all the talking today. As usual, Pritpal Singh, our Sikh history aficionado, joins us. First thing I want to say, thanks for uh, joining me, Pritpal. Uh, uh, thank you, Sean. It's great to be back with you. He's going to take us through more of our setting, Jassa Singh Alawalia's life, 
and guide us along the thread that weaves the fabric of this incredible period of Sikh history. As we left off in our last episode, we, we said that it almost was a matter of time that the Sikhs started declaring sovereignty. Before we get into that, let's just kind of back up into some of the preceding events that led to that, which was starting in 1746. So, yeah, so Chota Kalukar took place in 1746. Uh, it was ordered by Yaya Khan and implemented by Lakhpat Rai, where approximately 15,000 Sikhs were killed, uh, um, majority of on the battlefield, uh, but it was a combination of a trapping them uh, and then arresting them and persecuting them uh, with torture on the way to, uh, you know, Lahore. So it was a series of, it was, it was a campaign, basically. It was not just a one-day event. Uh, but the beautiful thing was that Jassa Singh and other sort of leaders regrouped within six months. And, uh, and next year, the following year, in 1747, Jassa Singh with Kapoor Singh, Tara Singh Van and other leaders took control over Amritsar by defeating uh, Salavat Khan. That was a huge political victory and really inspired many more folks to uh, come in the fold of Sikhi. It was the following year, uh, the Sikhs met in Sarbat Khalsa, which is against the mini parliament of the Sikhs, and they reorganized the 65 Jathas, or the groups they had, smaller groups in that time, into 11 missiles. And, uh, and Jassa Singh Aluwalia becomes uh, the leader of one of the missiles. So Amritsar always has been the sort of uh, the center of the Sikhs uh, going back to late 16th century. The land was actually where it exists, was bought by the fourth Guru. And the central part will be the Darbar Sahib, which is also called the Golden Temple. And keep in mind that gold was put on Ranjit Singh 100 years later. Uh, so that would be at the center. There will be businessing flourishing. It had become a trade center on the GT, the Grand Trunk Road. It's very much a, a multicultural, multi-religious center. Pop, majority population either Muslim or Hindu. But the Sikhs are growing in number. It's turning into a very spiritual city which is because it is both the religious and the political seat of the Sikh psyche um, all the attacks have been there the invaders seem to think that they will somehow break the back of the Sikhs by attacking there and during just sussing times this happens actually a few times as well where actually Ahmed Shah Abdali, one of, uh, also called those Durrani, he actually attacks one time and he just, you know, destroys it and, and fills it up with dirt and, and actually uh, throws dead cows in there. And, and, and Sikhs are annihilated from Amritsar. They can't face it. But so Amritsar, uh, we're asking how it looks. It changes every year. Depends on who's in control who's attacked, but the six, it's always serves as a rallying point uh, to rekindle uh, their spirit. So once there's a, a reorganization of the Sikh population uh, politically into the uh, 11 missiles, uh, again, one outlier is the 12th missile, Fulkia, they operate 
independently, but whenever there is an issue that affects the entire sick nation, they join hands and work against any foreign or uh, internal threats. Chassa Singh, he, he's like a larger-than-life figure. He's a big guy, tall, well-built. He wears all blue attire. His diet has been described. He had. <laughs> he used to eat like uh, one sear of um, uh, butter in breakfast and quarter sear, which is like a kilogram of uh, sugar. Uh, and it was not unusual for him to eat half a goat for lunch. Uh, so the guy is massive, um, but he's also described as very swift. The way he uses swords and, and guns, this larger-than-life persona. Kapoor Singh, Nawab Kapoor Singh, he dies in 1753. Before his passing, he actually instructs Jassa Singh to free Punjab in name of Guru Gobind Singh by serving Khalsa, which is very pivotal because, I mean, this is his mentor. This is a guy who pretty much, he credits him with everything. So with that established, let's maybe get into one of his main adversaries, which has been this character looming in the north for a long time, Ahmad Shah Durrani. So Ahmad Shah uh, uh, Durrani, also called Abdali, is is this Afghan, uh, you know, general. He, he he's probably considered the greatest general I can say of the time in the 18th century. Ahmad Shah is very well organized. He's got an, a huge army, and his whole idea is that he's going to come from uh, Kabul, Afghanistan, and destroy anything that gets in his way. Those kingdoms which don't surrender to him, he's going to mutilate them. Uh, the ones who don't want to fight, they will become subservient to them. And he goes all the way to New Delhi. He loots the treasures, um, does these genocidal campaigns, and takes the treasure back to Afghanistan. He does that repeatedly. Six at the time don't have the six are very few number, so they 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 can't really face him head on. Say so do a lot of guerrilla warfare, and usually he didn't really you know uh, pay much attention to six because they were smaller in number. But during his sixth time, he he really takes a beating, and he and then he finally asks the local rulers, "Who are these people?" And they tell him, "These people are six. Six. Who are they?" Uh, he's like, "What do they believe in?" Well, they believe in, you know, one divine Ikko Ankar, that, 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 that there's one sort of, you know, God. And so he's a little confused. He's like, well, that's what we believe in. So what's the difference, right? <laughs> I mean, but one of actually his, his minister, his name is Kazi Nur Muhammad. And I quote him, he says, when they, meaning the Singhs, lift the Indian sword, they cause destruction from Hind to Sindh trampling down everything under their foot. No warrior could resist them in the battlefield 
whosoever mighty he was. This is from Jang Nama, page 156. And Kazi Nur Muhammad just described that they had never seen anybody who's so swift with the sword and the gun in the battlefields. So Ahmed Shah Abdali, he, he's so weak, you know, by the time he leaves in this last attack, by seventh time. And he tells the local um, rajas or the king of Punjab, he's like, you better get, get control of these guys. If not, then they're going to end up ruling the land. And this is essentially what happens a few years later. The 1750s, there's multiple conflicts occurring. There's actually late 40s. There's also worth, worth mentioning. There's another event uh, that, that takes place, which is uh, Amritsar at one point is taken over by Mir Manu. And he, he grabs any six he can get hold on. Usually that, by that meant woman. So he grabs woman in um, Lahore. And he basically gives them a, a choice, convert or die. And none of them choose to convert. So then he, to test their faith, he he basically starts torturing their toddlers. Toddlers are, you know, maybe anywhere from one to two years old of kids. And literally these women, they are just amazing to me on a personal level because they they don't flinch at all. And they witness literally their their kids being chopped down, you know, joint by joint, uh, like vegetables. And he's so desperate. He's like, he's like at one point, you know, historians record him saying, just say you're not the daughter of Guru Gobind Singh. And none of them, you know, even do that. And they all, um, um, you know, uh, kiss death with love. Uh, and another uh, conqueror, he actually takes over Amritsar short for a short time and he annihilates the six. And in Harmandar Saab, he converts it into a brothel. There are prostitutes dancing, there's wine and alcohol being served, and, 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 and declares that there are no more six left in central Punjab. So these two guys, they hear of this, and they're not in Punjab, they're in Rajasthan. And they do a prayer, do Ardas, and they go to Amritsar, and they, they kill him. They already disguise themselves as traitors. They, they make up a, set up a meeting with him that they want to do some sort of a business deal or pay him homage, and they end up killing him. And uh, that sends big signal throughout the political world in Punjab and South Asia that six mean business. So, so, so again, Ahmed Shah, it's time for him. He's running low on cash, so he decides to come to Delhi again again. Actually, he had heard in 1762 that Lahore fell to the six. And this really takes him back. He's like, what? The capital of Punjab has been taken over by the six? So keep in mind, Punjab and Delhi and most of the areas, the rulers are actually Muslim themselves. So when Ahmed Shah comes, he, he demands uh, money from these rulers. So rulers essentially have a choice. Give him money or fight with him. But in between stand the six. So when he hears in 1766 have you know taken over Lahore, so he takes his army of 150,000 and he orders the local uh, kings in Punjab 
that you better join me. Uh, if you don't, these guys are going to take over you. So they all join hands too. He travels, covers a lot of ground between Lahore and, and he finds, he, he gets the news that big caravan of six, including women and children, are camping. So he, he hurries with his army and uh, he traps them near current day Maler Kotla, which is an Indian part, Indian side of the Punjab. In one afternoon, he kills 30,000 six mostly women and children uh, but there is also a fight because again Sikhs don't believe in giving up so there's a fight the Sikhs know that this he's there that, that he has them trapped and the women and children and older folks are dying just Singh sends messages to basically everything possible that this is you you got to help and the missile lars they respond and 30,000 Sikhs are killed just sussing uh, sustains 22 wounds in on his body this is according to one source some say he he, he actually sustained more wounds but what i want to say is that it's basically you you, you know when when a, when a holocaust is happening there is no distinction between which missile you belong to, which reason you belong to, what you look like, what you eat, what you don't eat, what your fits. When a Holocaust is happening, the enemy knows who you are. You internally may not, you have differences that I'm a better sick than you or I'm more faithful, but enemy makes no distinction. They see you as sick and they're gonna annihilate you. And that's pretty much what happens that day. And I wanna, give you this quote from Ratan Singh Pangu, a Sikh historian from the early 19th century. In his writing, in Siri Guru Pan Prakash, he talks about this Vardaka Lukara at Malir Kotla, near Malir Kotla, and he goes, Jassa Singh sustained 22 wounds. Even then the respected Singh, Sikh continue fighting. Uh, and when they heard Jassa Singh is injured, all chiefs shook their head. Meaning they were like, like, they were in disbelief that that Jassasing sustained so many, yet he still keeps fighting. And because Jassasing is the religious and political leader of the Sikhs, he has been given the title of Sultan ul Qom, which is, means sovereign of the Sikh nation. So, and he has the loyalty of the Sikhs because they, of all the missiles because they believe in him. So when they hear this is happening, they all came and stood among, meaning all the missaldars, whether they were from the Pangi missile, Pakhtanaya missile, the Ram Gadiya missile, Ram Gadiya and Aluwalia missile, some historians have said they had, they had their differences. But even they came, uh, the Naki, the Nishanwalia, the Dalewalias, the Aluwalia, I mean, they were all there. Ratan Singh Pangu is saying that his appeal was so much the the leaders felt this is a holocaust if you don't respond then who will so the point here at the end of the day is a third because we don't have exact numbers a roughly a third to half of your population is wiped out in one day what are you going to do and and the way they responded was 
they kicked out Dorani eventually. And three years later, in 1765, they captured Lahore, struck coins in the name of the Guru, and entire Punjab was under six. Jassa Singh is actually in 1764, he's actually asked for help by people outside of Punjab, by um, Jawahar Singh, who's the son of Suraj Mal, who's the founder of Jat state of Bharatpur, which is in Rajasthan. So his influence actually is going now beyond Punjab into Rajasthan. He's corresponding with Shah Alam, who's an emperor, a very weak emperor of Delhi at the time. He's corresponding with him uh, because Shah Alam has some lands in uh, some areas of Punjab and he's worried he's going to lose them. So they're negotiating right on that. He's, his influence is going toward the, the Ganga Dwab outside Punjab where the rurals are asking for his assistance and same thing in Agra. So his entire life is spent in training, fighting, um, or in diplomacy. And, and after 1765, you see, you see a lot more of that. One of the greater thing I think he's done, which doesn't get much coverage because, you know, we focus and focus more on his awesome, you know, general he was on the battlefield, is he actually brings a section of the Sikhs back into the Sikhi fold. The, these were the Kartarpur Sodis, who are descendants of the Gurus, the Tirmaliyas, who had, you know, during the time of the Gurus, they were fighting for who's going to be the next Guru, and these are the people who got left behind, proclaimed to be the Guru, but they weren't. So their followers started their own brand of Sikhi. So he approached them and told them, you know, had a conversation, a dialogue with them, got them to come and accept Sikhi and accept Khalsa as the Guru and Shabbat as the Guru and not as what their forefathers are proclaimed, that they were the Gurus. And he did it beautifully because this tells you that he was concerned about the unity that he didn't want any compromise, that anybody can take advantage of the differences among the six. When Ahmed Shah Abdali, um, he had taken over Amritsar and, and took off, he needed money. Um, so um, he actually mortgaged it to one of the guys, his name is Chaudhary Sahib Rai, for, for, for um, a lot of money. Now the six have taken over. Punjab, including Amritsar, but their their shrine doesn't belong to them. So they didn't quite know how to deal with that. And one of the popular opinions at the time was, this is our land, let's just take over. This is ours. Jassa Singh Aluvalia actually approaches Chaudhary Sahib Rai and thanks him for taking care of Harmandar Saab. And which is very ironic here because most people are surprised by this. They're like, why is he thanking? He's like, well, he actually cleaned it up. You know, he took care of our holiest shrine. So we owe him gratitude to taking care of Harmandar Sah for us. And he pays him 300,000 rupees. It's a lot of money at that time. So he unmortgages Darbar Sahib from his own money. 
and thanks him. So it's just the way he operated tells you that his thinking was very, um, you know, beyond his time. He he spent a lot of his time um, after the 1765 basically pursuing these things to make sure that unity exists. Things are very fair because his personality was just so grand. No missile chiefs collaborated with a hostile regime or invaders to to settle score with a fellow missile chief. His his achievements and the way he operated. There's so many lessons for us, even though we're in 21st century, but he was in 18th century. Justice Singh Aluvalia continued to prove himself as a noble and capable leader. After facing Ahmed Shah Durrani in his ninth and final invasion, he rested in Kapoorthala, he made it his headquarters and continued as an administrator until his passing in 1783. And I suppose that's the lesson we get from Justicing is that like it's because I think when we reach to the point where of his passing in, in the 1780s, um, things change for the Confederacy. Like he, he really seems like he was a central figure in holding the whole thing together. And that's because he didn't have a lot of self-interest or, or personal motivation. His motivation was that he was taught to not be self-interested, to think about the Panth or, or the community and unify and keep it together. But it seems after his, his passing that changes the future of the Confederacy. So once he passes, you know, uh, actually right before he passes, uh, the six actually do take over Delhi. Um, Bagel Singh and Jassa Singh um, Ram Gadi and others, they actually go to Delhi and they take over Delhi. So Jassa Singh sees this coming that this, this, just the sheer strength of six is growing. He, I think, doubled down on his efforts towards focusing on how six should operate should be according to the Guru's teachings, which mean, obviously, the things you just said is being humble and not doing anything for personal gains. But once he passes, um, what you see is a, a vacuum. Uh, there's more infighting uh, amongst the, the missile dars, the Sikh leadership. And uh, these 12 missiles, they eventually, because they are taking, they have, they control Punjab 1765 onwards. So the only place they can look is outside Punjab uh, or within Punjab. So some try to go outside, some try to look inwards and try to take, take over each other's territories. And that's essentially what happens in the next generation, in fighting and um, until Ranjit Singh essentially takes over the Western six missiles, some by collaboration, some by marriage, some by outright beating them on the battlefield. And the Eastern six missiles see him as a threat wanting to take over entire Punjab and they aligned themselves with the British. So you see the breakdown in what Jassa Singh Aluwali tried to do all his life is to, to have unity among the six. There's a breakdown a generation or two later. If you're interested, interested in leadership, 
studied just as saying that how humble he was, how he was obviously determined. He was an awesome statesman, general, but all of this came out of a devotion he had. He he'd built early on in his life. In his life, six went from, you know, being hunted down to becoming rulers of the land. And he himself went from, according to, you know, Ratan Singh Pangu, he went from being a beggar to being a shah, a sovereign, you know, a king. So if you want to know, if you're interested in mentorship, you ought to study him. If you want to know how to be immersed in Shabad and maneuver through difficult times in your life, study him. If you want to know how to serve selflessly, have to study him. If, if, you, if, if you want to provide leadership, how to provide leadership in crucial times, you have to study him. There's a lot of reasons why... I don't think just six, but anyone who's wanting to know about how to serve and how to be a leader, they should study just as in Aluvalia. It's just grander than life personality. That concludes part two of our special Sikh cast series on Jasasing Alwalia. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows, or tell a friend about us. Now as I leave off, I want us to think about what will happen next in the saga of Sikh history. As we mentioned earlier, with Jasasing gone, it leaves a vacuum as to who had the ability to unite the various missiles of the Sikh Confederacy. It would be a matter of time that their constant infighting would start to jeopardize the agreements the many Sikh leaders had with each other. That is, until another leader appears on the scene with the help of another famous historical figure. Check out Sikh History's other episode on the infamous and famous warrior Hari Singh Nalwa as he helps Maharaja Ranjit Singh turn a loose confederacy into the Sikh Empire. Until then, thanks for listening. You are listening to Sick Cast by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path.